privilege to welcome Dr. Jim Baird back, who has served as senior pastor here from 1972 to 1980, as well as his wife, Jane. He's ready to go, so I'm not saying anything else. All right, there we go. Well, Chip is very conscious about how long I'm supposed to be preaching. Uh, Chip, uh, it is remarkable. You know, this man has been on staff of this church for 25 years. That's a record. When I look out, I know some of these people. And that's a record. It reminds me of one of the elders who's gone to be with the Lord. The session used to, and still does, I'm sure, approve every marriage. And uh, on this particular session night, uh, such and such were getting married, and they asked for permission. And somebody said, who are these people? I, I don't know their names. And one man, Auburn. You remember Auburn? You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> he was a character. Auburn got up and said, well, last Sunday they came to church for the first time, and uh, they put him on the front row, uh, and uh, they uh, began uh, the service, and then he began preaching, and while he preached, they got a little bit closer. They had sung a hymn. Their hands uh, had touched, and he kept on preaching uh, so much, they looked at each other, uh, and uh, before it was over with, uh, they were engaged, and he fell uh, in love with her at the end, before the end of the service and the benediction, and they now want to get married. And I said, well, I disapprove of the marriage. Because <laughs> I didn't preach the full sermon that day. <laughs> i tell you why I preached this sermon. I preached this sermon because I was taught uh, in seminary that you are to observe and you are to read the nature of the congregation and the character and what's going on in their lives. And so I chose this sermon for this purpose. I give the illustration and then I will read the text. The illustration goes like this. There was a man in Mississippi where I live. He was a lawyer. He was a fabulous lawyer. He's a brilliant man. And a good man, had a Presbyterian background. The Attorney General of the state of Mississippi a number of years ago called upon him uh, to execute trial or as client against the tobacco companies of the United States and then the asbestos company. Well, at the end of all of this, and when he got his share uh, of all the proceeds, uh, this man, his name is Dickie Scruggs, was a billionaire, not a millionaire, but a billionaire, and a good guy and a good man. But he had a hard time losing any kind of a suit. And in a remote area in Mississippi, a court case in which he was involved for just a pittance of money, he bribed that federal judge. And the federal judge blew the whistle. And Dickie Scruggs wound up in prison for six years, a federal prison for six years. And fairly recently, he got out. 
And when he got out, about a week ago, he wrote a column. This is what's happened in Mississippi in recent times. The committee of the Senate of Mississippi that has oversight of the universities and the colleges of Mississippi had asked the current chancellor of the state of Mississippi at Ole Miss to resign. They had some reasons, I guess, but it caused a furor. And in the process, Dickie Scruggs, who lives in Oxford, Mississippi, who was in favor of this fine chancellor, got involved by observing those who were agreeing or disagreeing and he wrote this column, and the column goes like this. He said, I spent six years in prison. It was a prison in which uh, there was um, a fairly easy place to live as far as you can in prison. But he said, uh, the prisoners were under a warden who said, if I ever find anybody in a fistfight, if I find you in an oral argument in which you disturb other people, if I do, do the, he said, I have the privilege of sending you to Leavenworth where you'll find out what it means to be in prison. And he said, we therefore were people who were very conscious of each other and kind to each other even when we find ourselves in disagreement. And now I'm out. I'm living in Mississippi. And he said, the thing that hits me over and over again is that I'm living a group of people with a group of people who are angry, not at specific things, they're angry at everything. Over and over again. Issue after issue. And particularly this issue about a chancellor at the Ole Miss University. And he said, why can't we get along? Why can't we live in kindness like I did in prison? Now, there was a man who had every right to be upset who was in prison, and it was not easy. His name was Paul. He had been a killer of Christians. He had assumed the right to help people kill Christians. And then he was on the road to Damascus, and the Lord struck him down, and he said, You are not persecuting people. You're persecuting me when you persecute my people. And the Apostle Paul became a Christian, was sent out to be a missionary to the world. When he walked into Thessalonica, the people of Thessalonica, here comes the man who's turned this world upside down. And the Roman government found out that kind of a man is hard to live with. And they imprisoned him. And the man who was in charge, the king, his name is Nero, the emperor. Nero was the kind of a man, as much as I've read about him, he was brilliant. But he had a screw loose in his head. We got people like that in our day. Some of them are pastors. Brilliant but hard to live with. You don't know what to do without causing problems. You have people like that. And he's the man who not only arrested Paul, but had him on death row and would one day execute 
Paul. And Paul, uh, an elder from a church that Paul had, he had touched the lives of some people in a city in Greece called Philippi. And they had a congregation like this congregation. And they sent an elder to Rome where Paul was in prison to give Paul some gifts and help him a little and tell him what's going on. And Paul is writing a letter back to these people in Philippi. And Paul could say, man, oh man, am I ever ticked off. Here I am. No, it wasn't that, not at all. He read those people in Philippi. He said, what's happened to me is going to come to you and you can be angry if you will. But he comes to the end of his letter, four small chapters. His letter to these people. Here's Paul in prison illegally. He's at the end of his life. And he's at the end of this letter. And he writes like this. He says, now you've got two ladies in the church who are angry with each other. Get them together. Show a little love to them. And he names somebody to help him. And then he says, I want you to rejoice. And then he says, I want you to have a peace in your heart that passes all understanding. Let me read it to you. Remember the circumstance. Remember what's going on. And this is the word of God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. I entreat thee, Iodius, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and also with the rest of my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. God help us to understand. When I read a passage uh, like this, under those circumstances... The Apostle Paul has a reaction that is totally opposite of what we would call the natural human reaction. The Apostle Paul is a Christian, and he is the Christian, but he's asking the people of God to do what would seem to be almost impossible. Under certain circumstances that were not only wrong, but were ungodly. 
and all he had to do was deny Christ, and they'd let him go. He refuses to do that, and he is going to be executed by this man, Nero. And he writes this letter, and he says, I want you to do three things. When Christ was in the upper room with his disciples, less than six hours later, he will be on the cross, nailed to a cross. And in that upper room with his disciples, the last time he's with them in a sense before the crucifixion, after three years with them, he mentions three things in that upper room. The first thing is, he said, I want you to love one another like I've loved you. And then he says, just like Paul mentions here, get these two women loving each other. The second thing the Apostle Paul, I mean, the, the Lord Jesus Christ said in that upper room, he said, he said, I leave you something, you men. I'm going. They didn't understand everything, but he said, when I go, I'm going to leave you something. I'm going to leave you my joy. The Lord Jesus says, my kind of joy, I leave you in this situation of everything wrong. And the last thing that he said was this. He said, and I leave you my peace. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. I give you peace, not the world's kind of peace, but the peace that only I can give you that will cause you to not be, uh, be amazed at, at the peace in your heart according to the circumstances that are against you. Now, the Apostle Paul in prison mentions these three things in this closing chapter. But the one he mentions the most is not love, nor was it peace of heart. The one he mentions the most is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I say that he mentions it more. Do you know, he mentions love a little bit. He mentions peace a little bit more. But he mentions joy or rejoice in this four chapters 17 times. It is a major thrust when things are wrong. That's kind of the day you live. Do you understand why I've chosen this passage? You're living in a day... As Dickie Scruggs says, out of prison, in which I had a reasonable sense of joy, kindness to one another, and I'm living in an age in which Americans are mean and angry, not as specific things as a way of life. In everything. That's what he writes. He's a good man. He really has a good heart, Dickie Scruggs. And he's trying to get everybody to live with a little sense of joy. Now I want to tell you something. A little story. Jane and I were driving, going off to somewhere, but we were having to drive through Montgomery, and we've been told there's a restaurant. We go to that restaurant, we get in there, we sit down, 
we're get, uh, getting our order uh, taken, and suddenly four men walk in, and uh, they sit down. Uh, they had uh, big black hats on. They didn't ever take those hats on. The waitress, she just leaves and runs over there. <laughs> and we watch. I just watch. I don't know who they are. She comes back, and she, uh, she says, you know, and she tells who that is, and I say, who is that? I thought she was going to dump something on me. She said, you don't know who that is? No. Well, it was a country singer. You probably can guess by now who he is. I'm sorry, but I, country music never has been my taste. So I decided to watch him. And I watched him. We left about the same time. I watched him get in the car, these four men, and the key man got in the back seat, and it was a Ford. And I was impressed. And wouldn't you know, I've said, I'm going to try to read about this guy and find out something about him. And within a month, lo and behold, he's coming to Jackson, Mississippi for a concert, and they have him on TV at 6 o'clock news. And finally, the lady asks him, what is the thing that really turns you on right now? He says, I got a granddaughter. My first granddaughter had just been born. Now, this is 25 years ago or more. He'd just been born. And uh, the, the lady says to him, Well, what would you want for your granddaughter? And he looked at her and he said, I want for my granddaughter what you would want for your granddaughter. She said, What is that? That she'd be happy. How about you? You got a child? You got a wife? You got a son? Or just, how about just you? Would you rather be happy or unhappy? You're living in a day of unhappiness and anger and vitriolic anger. But I'm here today to show you not how to be happy, but better than happy. The biblical word is joy. The problem with happiness is this. There's an old vaudeville scene. It goes like this. The guy's on his knees. Spotlight is on him. You see, you've heard this. And he's on his knees and he's looking dark on the stage. Policeman comes along. Can I help you? I've lost my car keys. He's down there and looking, looking. Policeman says, is this where you lost them? He said, no, I lost them over there. Well, why are you looking over here? The light is here. It's dark over there. The world has got its light shined and says, here's happiness. And you know, the happiness is happiness for a moment. We were in Cairo, Egypt one time. We went to the museum there. And I saw the, uh, I saw the tomb of King Tut. And the, his tomb, he was a minor king. And in the 1920s, they discovered, they tried to hide all that gold. He had tons. Can you imagine the tons of gold they had in the museum? Just a little bit, but it was, oh, it was a casket in gold and one on top of that. It was amazing. We left there, and that casket and all of that, and they showed it with joy. And they took me to another grave, a little place, a little thing. Here was a man, an American. He was from a rich family, 
the Borden family. It was Borden of Yale. He was a young man, graduate of, of Yale. And he's going out as a missionary out to the Orient, but he's coming through Cairo, contacts, illness, and dies within weeks. And here's his little grave. The contrast, amazing. But what this man writes about his coming death when he knows he's going to die, Borden of Yale, that great missionary, young man, never even got to the mission field. It's just filled with joy and rejoicing. How about you? Here's the difference between happiness and joy. And this is why the Bible never uses the word happiness. That's what the world is talking about. And that's what Garth Brooks was talking about. I want my daughter-in-law to be happy, happy, happy. Here's the problem. Happiness is bent upon and determined by the circumstances that happen the way you want them to happen. You can be happy, but you're living in a world that is a fallen and sinful world. And I tell you, they're going to crucify Christ. They're going to crucify God. And they're going to, and they're going to do things. And your own wife and child will do things that you don't like. How are you going to be happy under those circumstances? I may hear about this, that Jane doesn't do right by me all the time, especially when I'm driving the automobile. But I don't like the way she drives, and I let her know. How are you going to be happy, my friend, when in this world they crucify God? What are they going to do to you? They're going on a boat trying to get from a place of unhappiness over to a city in Italy. They get in a storm and they pray. This last week, and they take 11 of them who are praying to Christ and throw them overboard to their deaths because they are praying to Christ. They're praying to the wrong God. That's the world in which we live. Now what's rejoicing? Rejoicing goes like this. I, uh, I grew up in Chicago, and I, uh, I come down after the army, and I'm 27, and I get saved in, a, in an unusual, right here in Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, a little town, Jane's hometown. Her mother had just died. Jane married me because her mother told her to. I loved her mother. <laughs> she was a remarkable woman. She died at the age of 47 of cancer. That's why we went back. But I get saved in the process. And in the process, I am called to the ministry. And I don't know anything about the music of the Presbyterian Church in the South, particularly the hymns, and particularly the gospel hymns. I can remember the first time they gave me a church out in Elberton, Georgia, outside of Elberton, Georgia. 
And on Wednesday night, I get to lead, and, and somebody said, let's sing uh, Love Lifted Me. And I said, what, what, is that, what is that song? They never heard. I never heard of Love Lifted Me. Well, every Wednesday night, it was hilarious. They knew every song, and I didn't know oh, one thing, and I'm trying to lead them. So I get that choir director, and I say, next Wednesday, you get here in half hour early. She said, okay. She said, why? I said, I'll tell you. She gets there, and I said, I want you to get that hymn book, and I want you to go through that little, that little loose-knee hymn book, and I want you to find the hymn that this church has never sung, and nobody in this church knows that hymn, that gospel hymn. You got that? She said, okay. In about five minutes, she says, here it is. I said, play it. And I went, I went about 20 minutes until I could sing. I can sing it to this day. I'm a soldier for you. I can't remember the thing. A soldier for Christ. A volunteer for Jesus. A soldier true. Others have enlisted. Why not you? Jesus is the captain. He shall never fail. Will you be enlisted like a volunteer? And I'm singing that thing. Hear it singing, you know. And they're just sitting there, and I say, what's wrong? But then I, le I learned another one with the children. I had the children during the day. And it goes like this. I got the joy, 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 joy. First time I ever heard it. I got the joy, 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 joy way down in my heart. Where? Way down in my heart. Where? Way down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy of the Lord down in my heart to stay. And I loved it the first time I heard it. And I love it and sing it to myself ever since. You see, happiness is built upon circumstances that inevitably you won't get through this day before you're ticked off about something. Just this day. But joy is way down in your heart. It's a spiritual reality in your heart, in your spirit. The heart is the it is the throne room of your being where you mentally and spiritually make all the decisions of your life. I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart when I meet the things that happen of every day. You see the difference? The difference for a Christian is the world is looking for joy out there in circumstances and you have the joy as you meet the circumstances. Now here's the difference and here's what, here's what that means. It means that when you meet the circumstances of, of heartache, you can look and you can say joy. Now the illustration I used this morning is if, if Chip and I, Chip's going to take me out to the day school. If I walk out there to his car and Chip gets in there and he turns the key and it goes click and I get out and I look and I say, Chip, you got a flat tire. Do you think I'm going to say, I got the joy, joy? But the text says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. In case you missed it, Baird, rejoice. It may take some time, 
But it better not take three days. It better take more like three seconds or three heartbeats to meet the heartaches as you face them day by day. You ought to get up in the morning. I don't know about you. When I was pastor of this church, I never went to sleep and went to bed until midnight. Jane would go to bed when the sun went down, and she'd get up when the sun came up. I would go to bed at midnight or later. And when I get up in the morning, well, somebody asked Jane, Jane always got up, ha, ha. I get up and Jane, Jane, do you ever, have you ever gotten up grumpy, grumpy, grumpy? Do you ever get up grumpy? And she would say, no, I let him stay in bed and let God wake him up. <laughs> we used to understand that we had to begin each day rejoicing. And so we had a little program at breakfast. We're going to start the, joy, the day in joy at breakfast. And when we meet at breakfast, if you are not right with the Lord, you four boys, and if you are not rejoicing in the Lord, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to go boop, boop, boop. That means go out in the hall and get right with the Lord and begin rejoicing in the Lord. Then you come back and we'll continue breakfast. And that worked out pretty good. Except the times when one of the boys was going, Hey, Daddy, you better get out in the hall. And then I would take a little survey of the rest, and they would all say, Yeah, you better get out in the hall. And so I would get out in the hall and get ready. But I'm getting better. I really am. At Christmas, Jane used to have a big thing of gold about this size, about this, and it just simply said Scrooge. And she put it up above the fireplace. People would say, who's Scrooge? Scrooge has not been up for the last two summers, for the last two Christmases. It's been wonderful. I'm making progress <laughs> about rejoicing in the Lord. For those of you who are having trouble, let me tell you something else. There's a lot of people who believe that happiness is something to do with the way that you are born and the kind of a nature you have in your personality. There are simply people who are unhappy and see people are happy. That's a false... Let me ask you this. Do you think the Apostle Paul was a ha-ha... And let me tell you a story. Let me pat you on the back. You think that's the apostle? He, uh, he was an intellect. Let me ask you about the Lord Jesus. You think the Lord Jesus had a personality, ha, ha, ha? And just smiling and laughing all the time? That's not the way I read him. Why did the people flock to him then? He was a very quiet. He had a sense of humor about the rich man going through the eye of a needle like a camel going through the eye of a needle. <laughs> he had a quiet sense of humor. But his rejoicing was simply a sense of life attitude. He rejoiced. 
in all things. Even some of the things. He went to the cross and the only one who had peace and who dealt properly with people. He had the joy of the Lord. Now let me ask you, my dear friend, if you're going to be the example to this world of the Lord Jesus, how can you be that witness? The last thing he said, I'm leaving, you be my witness. They went out to be a witness for Christ, and the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, and he preaches, and they're going to kill him, and he got everything wrong, and he's writing to a congregation that he loves, and he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. You want to be a witness for Christ today? I'm not talking about going out there and acting like a fool. I'm talking about really rejoicing in the Lord. Being thankful. Yes, being loving. Yes, having peace. Would you like to be married to somebody who is unhappy all the time? Would you like to be raised in a family in which the mother is unhappy? Very often? Can you see what it would mean as a testimony? I'm going to leave you one, one last point, and it's the kicker. Jesus can give you joy, which this world is desperate in need of. And when the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's writing, he says to the people, Rejoice in the Lord regardless of circumstances. Again, I say rejoice always. And here's the kicker. In the original language, it's in the command tense. It means he's not making a suggestion about you and me trying to be rejoicing. If you can, under the circumstances. It is a command. Practice this. Rejoice in the Lord. How about you teenagers? What's your rejoicing quota with your parents? The Apostle Paul says in the first chapter... I got these bonds. He said, I wish that you were just like me, except for these bonds. And then he says, rejoice. And then he says, in the last verse, writing to this congregation while he's in prison. And he says to them, I greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you also. 
and the saints here greet you in Philippi. And the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's the guys who were his prisoners. Isn't that amazing? You know what that means? Those guys who have been in prison with the Apostle Paul apparently for a year or more walked in every day in their eight-hour shift and something like this eventually happens. Here's your breakfast, Paul. Thank you, George. How you doing? Ah. What's wrong, George? Oh, my wife. And the kids, school. And this, uh -huh. oh, George, as I've been trying to tell you, I wish you had the joy of the Lord the way I have the joy of the Lord. He said, you're crazy, Paul. They're going to kill you. It doesn't make any difference. I'm going to hold fast to the Lord when he leads me into heaven. I just wish you had my joy, my happiness, my joy. And eventually the day comes when George says, okay, how in the world do I get the joy that you have? It's in the one who's called Jesus the Christ. When you invite him into your life, as your Lord and your Savior, he brings his joy under any circumstance. He can give you my joy. Okay, George? Yeah, I got it. I'll think about it. And finally, Paul writes, he says, George is sending his Glory to you. Let me ask you. How about those who are chained to you? You know who's chained to me? My wife. You understand what it means for me to have joy? For her sake? She can praise God. That I'm not the man I used to be. You got a wife, and she's got joy. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Can you understand, ladies, what your joy can mean as a witness? Can you understand today this congregation out there having the joy of the Lord in all situations? as we pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Lord, we do praise you, and we do thank you, and we sing, and we mean it, and holding fast to the joy, joy that is down in our hearts. And we ask you, dear Lord, to help us understand mentally, like the Apostle Paul, to rejoice in the Lord always under situations that are wrong. 
And yet, we're going to rejoice and we can see why we are rejoicing and that you're going to use us and you're going to bless this congregation and use this congregation on this day. And help me and help all of us by the power of the Holy Spirit to rejoice always. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.